to our podcast with super fans Rose and Sam and Malika too. She's undecided if she even likes it. But we watch Stargate and talk about it because it's fun. We probe the wormholes, yes we do, because we have nothing. Better to do so. Listen, here's our show. Hello and welcome to Probing the Wormhole, a Stargate discussion podcast. I'm Malika, your host for today's episode, Thor's Chariot. And with me today are super fans, Rose and Sam. And we're going to explore a crappy episode. <laughs> <laughs> We open with Carter explaining to Hammond their next steps in their seeker project, which would detect any large gold ships attempting to enter our solar system and attack Earth. I zoned out, and I think Hammond also did because he never looked at the diagram and just was like in awe of Carter's brilliance and could not pull his eyes away from her. What did you guys think in this opening scene? kind of didn't pay that much attention to what they were talking about <laughs> but it's a, I think you know Carter's always doing her sciencey brilliant thing and everyone's kind of like yeah just do it and stop telling me about it this one Carter is in front of the the glass panel pointing yeah. at stuff and O'Neill's behind her staring at her butt <laughs> I didn't notice that but I like it I like it yeah I'll I go know. with that <laughs> I was just looking at Hammond why why would you look at Hammond <laughs> two beautiful people it. He wasn't paying attention. I think everybody's in love with Carter, except for Tilk. <laughs> no, I think Tilk could go for Carter under different circumstances. Probably. <laughs> Controversial probably- statement. <laughs> no, but there are, over the years, I won't specify, there are some distinct Carter-Tilk shipper moments. But I think Tilk is too much of a loyal person, and he knows O'Neill has feelings with her, so, for her, so he would never sort of step over that line. We can talk about it more when we get to some of those episodes. Really? I mean, there's never like anything between them, but I there are moments that I can think of that sort of give rise to a Sam Teal'c shipperness. So the gate alarm goes off and it's an unidentified traveler. But when it opens, there's no one there. But we find out later that there were traces of Iridium, which the team left in Sumeria. So the team deduces that this message is from the Asgards and because they have destroyed their degoulding thing <laughs> O'Neill thinks that there might be a problem and at this point Hammond agrees that there needs to be something done we're back in the gate room and the probe shows that there's a bunch of dead bodies Tilk identifies the wounds as coming from staff weapons and they see Garwin as she's pleading for help. So, I mean, why, why didn't they address this issue? Like basically they went to this planet, destroyed their one and only defense and were like, peace out. And that was it. And they're like, Oh, we have an obligation to help them. Yeah. You kind of had an obligation all along to help them. Why are you waiting for them to be under attack to, to do this? But was it really their fault? Because the yes. Gal- but the Galwood came from above. They didn't come through the gate. So they could have come from above even if the hammer was still functional, right? 
I, I think so. I, I mean, I think it could have been that it wasn't related, but I think the implication was that they had sent scouts through the gate, realized they were no longer deadly to Gould, and then decided to send an attack team. And I think part of it, we learn a little bit more later, but part of it is there's this, this Asgard protected planets thing, right? And Samaria is one of those protected planets. And so maybe the advanced scout not getting killed is a sign that the Asgard are no longer there or no longer monitoring it. And so they're like, let's just do an invasion. Right. So then we are back in the boardroom. The team is telling Hammond that they were probably the cause of the invasion in, in the first place because they did destroy Thor's hammer. Yep. Maybe. I still maintain maybe. Even, even if it's a maybe, I think they still should have done more before this point to assist them. At least had some kind of warning system so that they're like, listen, your hammer's gone if you need help, do this. And not and not as sort of convoluted a process as the one that they were describing. Yeah, the naked box. You're right. <laughs> yeah. And then Hammond says, he says he's playing de- devil's advocate. And he says, because it's not Earth, what concern of it is theirs? And that's when Tilk steps up and says that they must go back because their actions saved his life. And then O'Neill steps up and he says, I gave the order. And Daniel steps up and says, I fired the staff. And Carter steps up and says, I was there. To, okay. to his point, do, let's say they hadn't been responsible for destroying their defense. Let's say their Thor's hammer gets destroyed in another way, but they still are friends with these people. Would they have any obligation under that circumstance? I think so, because they, they've already figured out that these people are human, right? Yeah. So they would feel an obligation to go help them out, even if it wasn't their fault. So would we? I mean, we don't go helping people on our own planet. Okay. I mean, sometimes we do when it's like geopolitically strategic. But in general, like we're not flying people from Yemen who are experiencing a horrible famine, largely as a result of American weapons being sold there. So, you know, like we are kind of like tough shit. It seems like to Hammond saying like devil's advocate. And I think he wants to go help. But I wonder if he's also sort of given the politics, given that you have Kinsey type elements that are trying to shut down the gate, if he's trying to give more voice to that position so that they don't get shut down again right he's like we kind of like we can't just go helping everybody but the planet does have ties to the asgard which seem like a pretty powerful race so hammond could justify helping them because we could get some more technology from the asgard so it's selfish it's basically a it's a strategic reason to help them not a like humanitarian reason maybe i I think i think most decisions are selfish. Even if you do it for humanitarian reason, you're doing it because it makes you feel good, which is selfish. So I don't know if selfish is the right word. I guess self-interested. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Oh, this episode is written by Catherine Powers. Who also wrote the first one, right? The first. Yes. First it does make sense. Okay. Yeah. Why don't we like her? Is she emancipation? She's the emancipation writer. Oh, that fucking explains it. <laughs> Although I have to say, after Emancipation, the other ones haven't been tremendously bad. They've just been a little bit bad. Well, I think all in all, this episode was kind of all the way to the last, I'd say, 10 minutes was 
bland action. There was really no direction. And then everything, everything's fixed in the last 10 minutes. Everything goes really fast. There, there could have been more dwelling on stuff. Yeah, I don't find her episodes to be particularly well-written. I don't find them to be great character development stories. And they often employ sort of tired and or racist tropes. I feel about the gray, but okay. <laughs> she also wrote an episode of Deep Space Nine and I'm trying to remember, it was past the episode past prologue, which is in the first season. Um, and I don't really remember it. I remember it. Was it good? It was okay. It's not terrible. The Dura sisters were there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm like us. I like the Dura sisters. I was once them at a convention. I, I dressed as oh. one. Yeah. With the um the boob window and everything. Yes, boob window. Great. <laughs> Nothing went wrong with a good old boob window. <laughs> as long as you're not sweating and it's not like this is like sensation. <laughs> like foggy boob. <laughs> Moist boob. So the next scene we have the team coming through the gate on Samaria. And there's dead bodies everywhere. And that's when Gerwin comes out and says that she that her people thought that this was Ragnarok and describes the attack. We don't see Kendra anywhere. And it turns out that Gerwin said that Kendra gave her the box. And Kendra was the one who told her to send it through the portal. So doesn't that tell you that Kendra is freshly dead? right? Yeah. I don't know why she waited when they said, where's Kendra? I don't know why she didn't just be like, she's dead. Instead of like, come follow me this way and shows them her grave. (laughs) But when did she she bury Kendra if Kendra just died? Like she gave her the box, Kendra died. She went to go throw it through the wormhole and then she went back and buried Kendra. Is that the timeline? No. No. She probably gave her the box, then died. Then she put it through the wormhole. But when did she bury, when did Gerwin bury Kendra? Because Kendra's buried under the ground. Before they sent the box. So Why? (laughs) Your world is being bombarded. Send the box right away. So the the ghoul come and kill a bunch of people, I guess. Half their their population, what we're going to find out later. Um, Kendra's like, here, send this box through. And then dies. And then she gets a buried. And then Gerwin says to her husband and brothers, help me send this box through. And then they all die. Maybe someone else buries her while Gerwin throws the box through. I don't know. It just seems like if you're being attacked, you should send the signal now rather than three hours later after you buried this woman. And it didn't look like a hasty burial. No, it was very quite ceremonial with little shells and <laughs> knickknacks exactly so does anybody know what actually is ragnarok it's armageddon right and they're movie thor ragnarok yeah i i saw it but it was like a comedy <laughs> i i don't i didn't get from that that's the end of the world like the last battle before total destruction or something i mean jeff goldblum it was in it it couldn't possibly be that serious that's not the Marvel movie. Yeah. It was Jeff Goldblum was in the Marvel movie? 
Yeah, yeah. There's a whole bunch of weirdos in that movie. I mean, sure. Goldblum is a weirdo. He's kind of a weirdo. <laughs> if he wants to come on the podcast, we'll take him. But- <laughs> he was never a guest star on Stargate, I don't think. He was our last guest. That's true. <laughs> so the Jaffa start attacking as they are just standing randomly out in the open next to the gate (laughs) why are they so bad at shooting (laughs) they don't get they're standing there distracted and they don't get a one of them and they don't ask you one isn't like that concerned they're like oh I guess we should move (laughs) they did they split up they're, yeah, like, they're like fucking stormtroopers. <laughs> takes us to the area where Kendra used to live. And it turns out that Kendra is dead. Very well buried with lots of little trinkets. And this is when we find out from Gurnalyn that the Gould have killed half of their entire population. So, of course, Carter, being the scientist that she is, begins to grave rob. <laughs> I was gonna first of all yes I'm like I don't think you should be touching people's like sacred burial items <laughs> that their friend carefully laid out in their honor yeah so uh Carter puts on the ribbon device and it actually works and of course she uses it to explode the ground but she can't use the other device the healing device is that is that what that was yeah oh well we, we don't know about that until later that it's a healing device though it is a healing device mm-hmm. spoiler alert yeah I, so i do like you You kind of get that same like unspooling of the carter experience with jolinar throughout the season so there's another i feel like every episode they give you one more piece of it and carter does look freaked out mm-hmm. she does pretty, pretty scared we follow Gurnalyn to where all the rest of the people who have survived, all the rest of her people who have survived are hiding and they're in a cave. And there's a very angry guy. His name is Olaf. And he calls- <laughs> Makes me think of Frozen. <laughs> Does um, Olaf in Frozen look like this, our Olaf? In this He's episode? a snowman, so no. <laughs> <laughs> Olaf calls the teams, the team, the dogs of- Midgard <laughs> because he's still angry that they destroyed uh, Thor's hammer and this is when the team offered help and Olaf is like oh okay <laughs> I mean rightfully pissed I think that this is a completely understandable reaction and they're like what we did the best we can I'm like I think you should be prepared for people to be pissed at you isn't it kind of a trope though to have a, a resistant village person <laughs> yes. look all scruffy and yell at you it was very easily persuaded. Yeah. Yeah. Atlantis does that plenty. Oh, great. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so uh, Olaf agrees to help O'Neill and Tilk go through the woods because he knows how to avoid the roving uh, bands of Jaffa. And Carter and Daniel stay in the cave. This is when we find out from Gurnalyn that there's this thing called the Hall of Thor's Might where they believe, or Daniel believes, that maybe Thor has kept some kind of weapons cache or um, other power that they can use to defeat the Jaffa. Again, maybe could have worked out this plan before at this point. 
could have been like, hey, what should we do if you guys get attacked? We fucked up your hammer. Let's make a plan. And she would have been like, oh, there's a hall of Thor's might. Let's go see if we can find it just in case. Yeah. This whole situation could have been avoided. We go outside and we see that now there are three pyramids being constructed. And during recon of the Jaffa, we see a new helmet. It's Horace's helmet. Also seems extremely large and unwieldy, just like the snake helmets. And it turns out that um, these are the guards of the Ra family and that the leader of them is Herer. 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 <laughs> just growl. Like Herer. <laughs> And the leader who um, is not in a silver Horus helmet, but is actually all in gold, is Herer. (laughs) 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 Who is the son of Ra and Hathor. Yikes. I was going to ask an inappropriate question about how he was conceived. I think we thoroughly analyzed the snake sex phenomena a couple of episodes ago. (laughs) That's why I'm I'm content to let it lie. <laughs> okay, to revisit the snake sex. Harrower, the man we see is the host, right? And his the Harrower, the gold is inside of him. So then the snakes must reproduce without their hosts. The snake mates with the other snake and they make more snakes. It's not host snake and host snake make host snake. <laughs> yep, that's okay. That's my because that's what that's I'm like. Do they have to leave the host to mate and then get back in the host? Do they somehow mate with the host, but it really just makes more goulds out of Hathor's whatever orifice they come out of? These are all very good questions. <laughs> very very important questions. So, are you saying that Hathor and Ra put? <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that Hathor in her sexy host fucks i know i keep using the word fucks and we keep you keep saying it's too explicit makes love with um <laughs> ra, ra in his host in the traditional way and then hathor you know births little riddling writhing snakes i don't think because when two hosts mate there that that's not what happens we find out later that other things happen so how does that mating occur to make more snakes, not to make people. Does Hathor produce some kind of egg sac <laughs> that Raw fertilizes with his own snake? And then Hathor takes it back into her body, gets in the hot tub and poops it out. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's as good of an explanation as any. Yeah. I have no idea. You have any idea, Sam? No, I'm just still stuck on the snakes making love. I want to see that. The flowers and chocolate and the heart-shaped bed. That's what I want to see. Well, how do snakes? We we have thoroughly discussed how snakes fuck right. at the last episode. All right. All right. <laughs> so we find out that these guards, these horse guards, will kill other Gawuld if they get in their way. Olaf, of course, is captured. And Herrerers tells him that he needs to bend the knee. And of course, Olaf will not. Wait, so 
But before we get there, so this is when O'Neill and Teal'c and and Olaf are like sneaking in the ground and they're like, stay here. And they go and he immediately gets captured, right? (laughs) (laughs) If I was him, I'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? They keep being fine and we keep dying. Like, no wonder they think they're evil. I don't think it's them. I think it's the guy. Because <laughs> didn't he stand up? He was walking away. Still. In an open field. <laughs> and O'Neill and Tilk are literally on their bellies in the, in the tall grass. I think we can put this, this <laughs> capturing all on Olaf. So Herrer's helmet retracts and he questions Olaf using his ribbon device. I racked my brain for something to say about Herrera's face. Like at first I thought he kind of looked like vanilla ice. And then I was like, maybe he's like um Bobo. What's his face? Walt from uh Breaking Bad. I could Oh, he does kind of look like what's his name? Cranston, Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like balder and younger. Yeah. And younger. Right. That. Because I find him to be one of the most forgettable ghouls. Douglas H. Arthurs. He's from Saskatchewan. That fits. Who's in the X-Files as skinhead man. At least he's consistent. (laughs) (laughs) So as Olaf is being tortured by the ribbon device, O'Neill and Tilk put their silencers on and start shooting at the Jaffa. I okay. And of course, Herrera has the protective shield that goes up just like we saw with Apophis and just stands there like, go ahead and shoot me. And they rescue Olaf. And um, as they're running away, Tilk turns around and looks at Herrera and Herrera looks back at Tilk and shines his little eyes and Tilk then takes off. There's no payout for that scene. Right? Right. He's just glaring his hatred at the gold. I know, but it, it it made me believe that maybe there was another scene that maybe was cut out or something where Tilk had seen him before or worked for him before. You guys would know better than I if this little rivalry or something um, comes back in the future. We do see Harrower again. I don't think there's ever any personal business between him and Tilk. Maybe it's just Tilk looking at a god or looking at what he thought was a god yeah i think it's just his glaring hatred for all gold yeah so we're back in the cave and daniel is saying that everything should calm down and tilk says things will not calm down daniel jackson they will in fact calm up (laughs) tilk has the best lines Mm -hmm. he delivers that he's for as big of a goofball as he is in real life he does deadpan very well he does So we find out that the pyramids are actually setting up landing pedestals for the motherships and the motherships are going to include lots of death gliders. So Tilg is setting up the team and the people in the cave to understand that this is pretty much the end of the rest of their population. O'Neill comes up with a plan. Him and Tilg are going to slow the attack by planting lots of C4 and Daniel and Carter are going to find out what's in the Hall of Thor's might. Gurnalyn takes Carter and Daniel to the Hall of of Thor's might, and it turns out it's just a stone monument, which of course, 
uh, Gurnalyn says, you're not allowed to touch it. And Daniel touches it. <laughs> and they disappear into a dark, empty room and materialize in the, across the room is Thor's hologram who speaks to them. The floor falls away and there's a very narrow path to the stone monument on the other side of the room. It's very uh, Indiana Jones. Was it Temple of Doom? Which one? No, was the-, um, the Last Crusade, I think is what I'm thinking of. When the, I don't know if the floor, oh yeah, no, part of the floor was falling because Indiana Jones was incorrectly spelling God's name. Ooh, deep. Yeah. Well, let's see. Raiders of the Lost Ark was 81. Temple of Doom was 84. The Last Crusade was 89. So they had 10 years to come up with this trick. So we're back in the forest and the C4 is being planted just randomly (laughs) on the ground in the dirt. (laughs) Not hidden, not against a tree, just like middle of the path. Then we get back to the hall and Carter walks across the tiny little bridge to the other side of the room. And so there's so many episodes of TV where people have to cross little tiny narrow things or they die. They never sit on their butt and scoot across. (laughs) Why wouldn't you do that? If you're, if you fall and die, or if you think you're going to fall and die, why are you trying to balance? Why don't you just scoot across? the safest way to do it maybe it's the same reason why people don't throw the bowling ball that way because it doesn't look very i I know it's not sexy and it takes away the jeopardy but like if you're in that situation you're gonna scoot across i don't know i think carter would still look pretty sexy scooting across (laughs) (laughs) i agree well i don't think carter needs to scoot i think daniel probably should scoot and gurnalyn should probably scoot but Carter's like, I did this in basic training. She could have probably done like a pirouette in the middle <laughs> and kept going or some like cartwheel or whatever. But yeah, Gurnalyn needed to scoot. I like every time we say her name, you say it differently. <laughs> I am I am like the worst at pronouncing things. I have the most complicated first name, but Malika, that's not a complicated first name. It's three syllables. You know how many times I've been called Malika, Monica, Maria? (laughs) It was Judge was the first judge to ever, or first person ever to call me Malinka. Malinka with an N? With, yes, with an N between the Mm. I and the K. And that made it on the actual... (laughs) court like attorney of record and it said malinka for years (laughs) (laughs) so gurnalyn starts walking across sorry and there of course there's some like mini earthquake and makes her almost fall off and she's now in a scooting position and she could scoot but of course daniel wants to help her up Makes sense. Just scoot. By literally like release your grip on everything <laughs> that, you, that will save your life. Take my hand. And of course they, they both potentially die, but it actually turns out that it, they were never in danger. And this was a test of courage. 
And Thor comes back and says, now you have to show your wisdom by figuring out my troll riddle, which is the riddle of runes. So was it a, a test of courage? Did they actually say that? The test was whether they would help each other, not whether they could go across. Okay. Right? Yeah. Which I think is the reason why there was the earthquake, the little earthquake. Right. Like it was all planned out that she would, some, whoever was the third person or second person or whatever would be in danger. But Thor calls it courage. Okay. And then, um, then he wants them, wants to test their wisdom. And they get transported again to another room where there's fire and writing on all the walls. Then we go to the for back to the forest and the team is putting more C4 all over the place. Olaf alerts everybody that the baddies are coming and O'Neill decides to blow them all up and then shoot whoever makes it through the explosion. Any thoughts about these tactical decisions? I think what they're doing is buying time, right? They're buying time for the Hall of Might plan. That's really their eggs are in that basket. There's no way they can take out this planet of Jaffa with the C4. You think so? It didn't seem like O'Neill was that invested in Daniel's mythology plan. No, I don't think he was invested, but I don't think they had any other choice, mm-hmm. right? Like, And then he, he keeps saying, like, come on, Daniel, come on, Daniel. Like, mm-hmm. I think... I don't think he would have chosen that plan, but I think it was kind of like a Hail Mary. Well, but when he was telling everybody the plan in the cave, when he said he would plant the C4 to slow them down, I would think that you would put it more strategically. If you are limited in C4, why would you use the C4 to kill like five Jaffa for every detonation? When there's literally three pyramids, <laughs> yeah. like there's a ton of them everywhere. Like, couldn't they have tried to storm the people near the Stargate too? Use the C4 for that? Because you can get at least one person through, maybe, and they can go send, you know, send in reinforcements. Yeah. Reinforcements, or they saw through the probe that there were all these dead people. They knew that something really bad was happening. Why didn't you come with an arsenal? Like that C4, you should have had backpacks and backpacks of C4. But also remember at the very beginning, I think it was at the beginning, O'Neill threw a grenade. Why are you not covered in grenades? I'm just saying. Grenade jacket. (laughs) Just a jacket, full jacket of grenades. (laughs) And a hat with grenades. Like just be a one person military arsenal. Right. That's right. So we're back in the Hall of Thor's Might, and Daniel is reading the runes. And he says that the last rune represents a chariot or a spaceship. Very foreshadowing. If they represent ideas, wouldn't it, the better word be like a mode of transportation or some transportation? Like chariot sounds very specific for an idea, as Daniel put it. Well, maybe because the runes is such an ancient language. So their primary, (laughs) I'm guessing here, (laughs) mode of transport is a chariot. And a spaceship. (laughs) Or a spaceship. (laughs) So Daniel reads runes, right? And he memory, like he doesn't have to reference anything. So he just knows what these things mean. He reads cuneiform. He reads ancient Egyptian. He like memorizes all these ancient languages and just could rattle it off. Daniel's yeah. pretty smart. 
smart. I mean, we're pretty smart. Can any of us identify like ancient runes if we saw them on the street? No, but you know, I sent a text to our former uh, guest star on this show. And it was something like, I have a JT and an MTR that's on for PTC with an LD of, and then a date. Our next, our NCD is whatever. And then a penal code section, (laughs) right? (laughs) I could read it. I was like, when I looked back at it, I was like, what the fuck? How can you have a JTN MTR and a PTC at the same time on the same case? Well, because the case that's set for JT and have a PT to try to resolve the two before the LD at the MTD. (laughs) And the MTR is a separate case. It's trailing. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we could we can speak in penal code, but we're also like steeped in it all day, every day. And there's still ones that I have to look up, right? Yeah, but I mean, you know, but like, it's one thing if, okay, he he's an Egyptologist, right? That's his field. So he knows ancient Egyptian. He knows all the hieroglyphics. He could do pretty well. He's not a scholar of Asgard history or Norse mythological history. That's not his specialty. So why would he know what these runes mean? Maybe he studied up before they left. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, maybe he like thought they might encounter it. So he read a book on Norse symbolism. Read a book in that hour. (laughs) How many runes are there? I think it's a limited number. I think it's like in the 30s. I'm guessing, but I think it's like in the 30s. So it's not like this chariot is one of them. Yeah, there's only 30 ideas then. (laughs) Big chariot. 24. 24. See? But how can there be, but if each one is an idea rather than a letter, how can there only be 24 concepts that you need to visually represent in the world? And chariot is one of them. Let me see. I'm looking at the R because I remember that R is the one that was the chariot. Here it, here it is. The R, which is what he was looking at, is a uh, ride or journey. Okay. So not chariot specifically. Right. One of them stands for Odin's breath. Is that like life? Maybe. Oh, they do have ecstasy. They have ecstasy. So they. The drug? They had ecstasy in ancient Norse land? I'm guessing it's a different kind of ecstasy, (laughs) maybe of the sexual kind. (laughs) Okay. If there's 24, I could see him memorizing it. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. So it feels like if the Asgard are there and their purpose, is to have whatever the the population that they're protecting grow to the technological knowledge in order for them to feel comfortable revealing themselves as fucking greys. Um, how on earth could these people who are, they have very rudimentary shelter because if we remember from Kendra when we were first visited Kendra in the other in Thor's hammer she was literally like living in a not even a shanty it was even less than that it was it's like a tent yeah yeah just blocks of wood like (laughs) leaning against each other for shelter right how on earth would you expect somebody who, or a population that is in that kind of state to ever technologically mature enough to 
figure out pi? Well, first of all, we didn't really talk about this at the last at Thor's hammer, but these people have not been bothered by the gold, right? Because isn't the whole thing, they, the Asgard rescued them, brought them here and gave them the hammer. So why haven't they advanced past this subsistence level? You know, whereas humans on earth have developed pi in advanced mathematics and anything even then had pi even 500 years ago. Um, and yet these people just haven't at all. Maybe it's because their population is too small. Yeah. Pi has been around for a long time. Yeah. I think they discovered it in BC. But you, but the way that the Asgard have set this up, they remember when Gurnalyn was standing next to the stone and she's like, it's forbidden to touch it. Mm -hmm. Nobody has ever touched it. I totally understand that math is very ancient, but I just don't see them being able to pass these tests. Well, and I think the idea of the test is it's more than just knowing the concepts. It's knowing how to analyze things and put stuff together. Yeah, I don't think they, even if they had calculated pi, I think it would be approximate, like maybe 3.16, not 3.14, in which case they still would have flunked the test. But the fact that they recognize there is a constant related to a circle, I think is speaks better of them than actually knowing 3.14. Right. Right. Because I mean, it was to the fifth decimal point, 3.14159. Yeah. They might not know that. They might know the concept of pi. So the test is wrong. (laughs) Go ahead. I just don't know that it gets at what they're trying to get at. It doesn't. So maybe the the idea is that you take a, a basic or sort of a timeless mathematical concept. So it doesn't depend on their technology level, it it more depends on their like innate intelligence. Is that it? Whereas if you ask them to like build a microwave, they couldn't do it. (laughs) But it's like, you need to know how to read runes. Then you need to figure out what order the runes are in. Then you have to put it together and come up with this number. Then you have to know that that number is finding the area of a circle based on its radius, then you need to go over to that geometric shape section and draw the radius. And your curiosity needs to be more than your fear. Cause I think touching the stone is the first test. Mm-hmm. Right. Which and they, they did it. So they would not have gone. This is SG one passing the test. Yeah. The Americans <laughs> that touch everything when they go abroad. <laughs> And grave rob. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't they also incorrectly give the formula for calculating the area too? Because Reddit is pretty upset. About the <laughs> pie thing? Yeah. 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 I think it's just, I don't, I, I wouldn't describe pie. I mean, pie is a constant. I wouldn't describe it as a formula. So that is a little weird. But I think, I think it could be, listen, this is a stressful situation. She's, you know, she understands what pi is really well. She's trying to explain it to two people who do not understand what pi is really well. And is just sort of at the same time, trying to keep in mind that they have the entire pressure of saving their civilization on her head. So, but I'm going to say that Sam was like dumbing down the explanation of pi to, for, you know, the benefit of Daniel and Gerwin. Gerwin. Whatever. <laughs> Let's cut Carter some slack <laughs> <laughs> on pi. Legislator. It's but. to do with circles. That's good enough. Yeah. <laughs>
they go over to the circle on the wall with the other ge geometric shapes and Daniel draws a radius on the circle. The sand disappears and a sphere appears and Daniel of course touches it. Thor's hologram then dissolves and a gray appears. And so Malika, before you just talk about your hatred of the grays and how they represent like colonialism, why weren't, why couldn't the Asgard, if they knew when people accessed his hall of might and were successful at the test to the point where he was displaying himself to them from his ship and communing with, communicating with them in real time, why wouldn't he know that the planet was under attack? It seems like a big failure. Playing Hammond's devil <laughs> advocate here, I would say that they have multiple planets that they're protecting. They have put on every planet something that will protect that planet from Gawuld. They figure that they are so smart because they are fucking greys that nothing could ever break that protection, could ever make that, make the, allow the gold to come back and raid these planets. So their only sensors left on the planet would be in these halls of might, waiting for the civilizations that they are protecting to mature, technologically mature enough for them to reveal themselves. Yeah, but that's from Hammond, <laughs> not from me. I'm just saying that just Hammett. seems like, I mean, you have this whole planet, like all it takes is just something that's like, oh, bomb dropped here, right? Um, like shit happens. These humans come and fuck shit up. Stuff breaks. You never know. The Gould are not that dumb. They could figure some way around it. And the hammer really only protects Gould that come from the game. It doesn't protect them from, apparently, from um, air attacks. So that's a vulnerability. Um, it seems like you would just want at least something that's like, uh-uh, beep, beep, beep. Gould are here. Let's go back to that planet. Epic fail. Asgard. Okay, so how come the Greys are evil colonists? Uh, um, <laughs> I think the Greys are bullshit. And honestly, I think it is like a colonizer's trope to make it so people believe that, oh, it has to be the aliens because these brown people couldn't possibly build a pyramid. So these are white people. No, but remember at the end, they have uh, Gerwin say, um, oh, by the way, uh, the Greys have come to your planet many, many times. I'm just saying, I, I'm okay with like the Gould. I'm okay with like sci-fi weirdos, whatever. All of this stuff is from the minds of the writer's room. So I'm okay with that. That's terrific. But the fact that the Greys are part of the world zeitgeist. So this is something that's actually out in the world. And then you put it in this fictionalized, completely different world. This is like, what if George R.R. R. Martin was like, here we are in Westeros, here are aliens. Oh, wait, what's on the back of that dragon? It's a gray. He would immediately pull you out of it and be like, this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> So I, I get you. So, okay. I do think you're right there. There is like this, you know, like the pyramids, I think the pyramids, Mayan pyramids, Egyptian pyramids, Nazca lines, basically anytime Brown cultures built sort of advanced things in ancient times, the assumption is it must've been aliens or something because they're not smart enough to have done it. What about Stonehenge? Right. Is there a theory that Stonehenge was built by aliens? I actually have no idea. <laughs> 
I haven't heard any. Have you? I think it's all druids, those clever druids. But maybe it's not druids. Maybe it's greys masquerading as gingers built Stonehenge. But my point is that the greys take away are an excuse to take away the the successes and technological advances of brown people in this world. I also think that they're really ugly. <laughs> but you know, when we we talked about Thor's hammer, what our main criticism of that episode was that the white people gods, the Norse gods, were sort of seen as these saviors that rescued exclusively white people from Scandinavia, rescued them, protected them as sort of the chosen people, whereas the brown people gods were evil and enslaved people. And how that's particularly offensive in light of the co-optation by white supremacist movements of Norse mythology and that how that's really only gotten worse in the last few years. So how does this episode sort of tie into that? Is it, does it make it better? Does it make it worse? It makes it worse because the white God literally saves the day at the end of the episode. Well, he's a little gray. Okay. The, the gray white God. The gray white guy. The gray, the gray God masquerading as the white God. Yeah. I, yeah. I absolutely agree. If you're going to have some culture rescue people, why did it have to be the whitest of the white? I, well, I think the first step would have been to get non-white writers. I mean, could you imagine we'd have another emancipation episode? I think you made that point like in a previous episode. Yeah, it would have been bad because they would they would have done a very shallow job of it. Yeah. Kind of, okay. Did you see the Mexican episode of the Great British Banking Show that was on recently and they got all kinds of shit for it? This kind of reminds me of that in that it's like they're trying really hard to be inclusive and they are just doing it so badly because there isn't anyone telling them this is stupid and this is bad and this is offensive, right? Like they're like, oh, let's do Mexico. So let's take the most shallow stereotypical elements of Mexican culture that we in England who have no experience with Mexico directly get filtered through our media. And let's pretend that's actually Mexico and do that. Like tacos, making tacos on a baking show. Totally different kind of show when there's a million things you can make that are actually baking things that are from Mexico. And had you had one actual Mexican person or person of Mexican origin in that room, production room, that wouldn't have happened. Well, but I understand the idea that the white writer's room would do brown and black people gods incorrectly. But think of all of the research that must have gone into all of this mythology that Greek and, and Norse mythology like somebody didn't just st step into the writer's room and is like I know everything about this culture right I know everything about Thor I know everything there was research that was done they just never do the research on any other culture but but if they had done that I mean wouldn't we then be screaming misappropriation because we have we have white authors writing about, um, I don't know, the experience of a Mexican migrant and people are saying that's misappropriation. I think, the, I think we have landed upon the answer. They needed to have gotten non-white writers. They need to go back in time, hire non-white writers and redo the episodes. Well, I think we have our, how would this be different today answer. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate because the Asgard do play a really significant role in Stargate. And, you know, after this episode, I don't think we really see Samaria again, per se, but we do see the Asgard again. And they become like a very important 
species that gets like woven throughout the series. And so you kind of at some point have to just let it be, you know, it's like, okay, it's the Asgard and that's who they are. Um, but it does kind of rub me the wrong way that this is how we get them. I already feel awful hearing that we're going to have to see the Asgards again. Like they get better looking because they, the CGI gets better. They get, yeah, they get better looking and we do learn some weaknesses. Yes. They become more like normal aliens and less like supreme white gods. Yeah. So they're just, we're going to have an episode of just constant probes, probing, probing. No, they don't. We don't see probes. They're not probers. I feel kind of like I'm having a cold coming on for whatever episode. (laughs) (laughs) You won't have to host it. You won't have to host the Asgard episodes. And if you find them shitty, then we'll talk about why they're shitty. But they do. They do have some vulnerabilities. Good. So we're back in the cave and O'Neill tells everybody to hide because the Jaffa are coming. Then we switch back to the hall. And Carter identifies Thor's real self as a gray. And he, or they should say, is a, is a gray non-binary, says, I am the supreme commander of the Asgard fleet. Yeah, I think we later learned they have no gender. And that's one yeah. of their problems. <laughs> I think. Is it a reproducing problem? Yes. So the gray does not agree that the Gould are there because they believe that the planet was protected as they put the protection in place in the form of Thor's hammer. And Daniel discloses that they actually broke it. And Carter's like, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) As Carter's worried that the gray probably would kill them if they found out that Um, By their actions, they put the entire planet in danger. The gray is is upset because the humans, Daniel and Carter, have helped the Sumerians figure out the the riddle and the feat of courage. The gray dissolves and Carter and Daniel are transported back out of the hall and back to the forest. And Gurnalin is nowhere to be seen. (laughs) Heroin. <laughs> Herrer. <laughs> so we're back in the cave and Daniel and Carter arrive. Tilk tells everyone that they're outnumbered 20 to 1 and the attacks start on the cave. My question is, why isn't Carter using the ribbon device to either put up a force field or start blowing up the Jaffa? Does she have it with her? I'm sure she stole it from Kendra. I mean, right? I think O'Neill told her to take it with her. She seemed pretty freaked out by it. But yeah, I think in that kind of a desperate moment, you might as well give everything a go. If it's 20 to one, put it it on your hands. Come on now. But these people seem like, remarkably calm about their pending death and the death of their young children well because they're olaf i'm pretty sure it's olaf who says that he's not afraid to die that's their philosophy right they're going to valhalla it's a it's a a gift to die so you're not supposed to be afraid of death 
So I think that's why they're not panicking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Jaffa yell that they need to uh, lower their weapons and or everyone will die. The team decides that they are grossly outnumbered and they don't want um, all of the rest of the Sumerians to be killed off. So they surrender. And as they're being marched off, there's thunder in the sky. And it turns out that there is a Asgard mothership appearing over the pyramids. It disappears, all the bad guys and the pyramids. But right before Herrerer can be disappeared also, um, he jumps through the gate. Gurnalyn materializes and tells the team that the Greys have visited Earth often and that there has now been an exception for Tilk with Thor's hammer, which has been reconstructed and um, he is always welcome on Sumeria. So every at the end of every uh, podcast, we rate the episode. Sam, what is your rating for this episode? I give it a three. I have nothing much more to say about that. I don't know. I watched this episode twice and I still don't really remember much of it. It's very, it's very forgettable for me. And I don't, again, I'm, I'm not comfortable with the, the white gods, the good white gods versus the uh, darker, bad gods. That doesn't sit well with me. Um, I don't have a problem with the greys, although I do recognize um, that they have been used to sort of undermine the great technological advancements of world or um, people of color. So that also doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> uh, yeah, three. That's me. Rose, what's your rating? I give it a 3.5. It's kind of jumping between three and four. I don't hate this episode. I don't have a problem with greys per se. I do understand your point about them. It, I, I just feel like they've be, been, they're, they're very, they're a common sort of thing in our culture. So they don't bother me per se. And I think Stargate has a different take on them or the way that they get incorporated to Stargate sort of mythology or um, canon is, is just a little bit different than the way they are used in other series. Um, I just, yeah, I don't, I, I think it's, this episode is important for us int getting introduced to the Asgard officially. And really that's it. There's nothing else about it that I find particularly memorable. Yeah, overall, just fairly on the low end of mediocre. <laughs> My rating before we saw the grays was a three. After we saw the gray, a two. I don't want to give it lower than emancipation because that was really bad, but it's all like it just a notch above. I think you gave emancipation a zero. So. Did I? Oh, okay, then I'm I'm good. I'm in the sweet spot of two. Like I think you said, the Stargate was in in um, in little bits of rubble because <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> so if we went back if this was this episode was shot now what what would you think would be different sam they i think they would still use the grays i mean they're still a symbol recognizable symbol in our culture in our our, our pop culture so i think the grays would still be be there they would not have the good white gods versus the bad darker gods though that would definitely be changed 
Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I do, I think that they intentionally use the grays because of their resonance, their cultural resonance, but they didn't have to be Asgard, right? They didn't have to sort of come in to the story this way. Um, and I think with a more diverse writer's room with, especially now with the way, you know, I say that with the way that, that Norse mythology has been co-opted, but we, you get Thor still, I mean, Thor's an Avenger and it's like the most popular thing in the world. So I think Norse mythology is always kind of popular, but the the recognition of the way it's co-opted would be different and the way that it was like used in the show would be different. I agree. And I would hope. I would spearhead a letter writing campaign to change the grays to something else. I mean, think about Resident Alien. That alien is awesome. That's played by Alan Two. I don't want to say his name wrong. Two dicks. Resident Alien. Resident Alien. Alan Tudyk, yeah. Yeah. Um, Plays this great alien um, on, it's a sci-fi show. And it's very intricate. It's very, um, it's just an awesome alien. There's Greys on that show too, which I'm fine with because they're the bad guys. So thank you for listening to us. Rant about, me rant about Greys. Sam rant about pie and Rose rant about. I don't think I had any rants this time. Um, yeah, why they couldn't like be a little bit better at protecting this planet, maybe. That's true. You did rant about that. But it's a valid point, right? It is. It is. We all had valid points. Yes. Especially me. Okay. So <laughs> our next episode is Message in a Bottle. We will see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. foggy boob window (laughs) like us and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform even if you don't like us you can still like and subscribe follow us on instagram and facebook at probing the wormhole on twitter at probing wormhole also visit us on our website probingthewormhole.com thank you